It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Welcome to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. It takes a special kind of person uh, to put their hand up to guard their team's goal, to be their team's last line of defence when an opponent is smashing a ball in their direction. But my guest is exactly that person. And no one has played more games uh, in the goals for an Australian hockey team, be that uh, in the men's or the women's divisions. She is a dual Olympian, a Commonwealth Games gold medalist, and has also been voted uh, the best international goalkeeper in the world. Uh, but that's just her sporting prowess. Uh, her day job uh, is a nurse. She's been a nurse now for over a decade, having worked at uh, some of the biggest hospitals in Perth. Uh, and one of those uh, incredible people who helped guide us through uh, the COVID pandemic. She's also a mental health advocate and ambassador for RUAK Day and for Lifeline. My guest is champion hockey roo, Rachel Lynch. Hello, Rachel. How are you? Thank you for that kind introduction. And that's just the start of it. (laughs) Let's talk about uh, what's going on at the moment. You've recently retired from from the Australian hockey team set up. The Commonwealth Games are underway in Birmingham. What's it like being on the sidelines now just as a, a, a very keen observer? <laughs> as a civilian. Yes. <laughs> um, look, it's, it's good. It's exciting. I love sport um, just as much as many Australians. So I'm really looking forward to watching. Um, definitely some challenges around watching the team that you've been a part of for, for so many years. Um, and, you know, I've got some really good friends in that team and I, and I hope they do well. And the Commonwealth Games is quite a unique one for the Hockey Roos mm. and Kookaburras, given that... Um, you know, some of the superpowers aren't there. So, yeah, the girls and the guys will be chasing a gold medal and I'll be watching on um, yeah. with interest. A lot of pressure. It's it's almost one of those ones, isn't it, with the, with the Hockey Roos at a Com Games, you know, and you, you're sort of forecasting the, the medal tally before the games have kicked <laughs> off. You, people are very tempted to just put gold next to Hockey Roos straight away, which must, with it, carry some pressure for the team. Oh, 100%. We, we experienced it last time, um, the Gold Coast getting silver. Mm. You know, had um, all these grand plans and expected to get gold and then you get silver and silver's still amazing but for, for Australians in a team sport scenario in com games we, we expect nothing less yeah that's <laughs> it yeah so yeah. um there is that pressure but the, the girls are prepped they'll do well and I think same for our kookaburras yeah you mentioned that you love sport generally what other sports get your attention in a commonwealth <laughs> games or olympics uh, or outside of those you know four yearly events uh, a bit of everything I yeah. um I made a I suppose a debut appearance in the social basketball league couple of weeks ago, won the grand final in my brother's mixed basketball team. I played basketball as a kid. That was, yes. that was my sport. That was your number one at the yeah, time, yep. wasn't it? So I'm looking a for a transfer. Yeah. So if the um, <laughs> <laughs> Perth team's short anytime, give me a shout. Yeah. Uh, but honestly, any sport. I, um, 
I think I've met a lot of people over the years, lots of different athletes. So it's always nice to watch when you've got someone in there that you know. Yep. But um, yeah, there's honestly nothing I wouldn't I wouldn't watch. Yeah, basketball as a kid. So that that really grabbed you. You were, it sounds like you're a sporting kid, and like <laughs> a lot of people who go on to be become champion athletes, it all starts with a a healthy but strong, sometimes bitter sibling rivalry. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> we did a little survey once in the Hockey Roos that um, I think we worked out it was probably over 70% of the girls had a brother. Yeah. And I'm sure that's not a coincidence. Um, the other statistic was around big families. So most had two, some even up to four or five siblings. So that competitiveness does start young. And, you know, I never dreamed of playing at the Olympics. I dreamt of beating my brother. That's all I wanted to do. <laughs> And, um, that just, was your gold medal. That was, yeah. And just having someone in the backyard to play, play with, you, yep. you kind of need that. And uh, I attribute my success to, to those days because mm. it's where I learned my coordination, my competitiveness, um, and I guess my fierce desire to, to win and improve all the time. Older? Younger? Two years older. Two years older. Yep. Perfect. Yeah. Much taller than me. Yeah. Um, we we're probably a bit more even back in the day, but... Um, Nowadays, it would be uh, certainly in the basketball. He's he's six foot six, so right. he he can dunk it. I have to stay down to the ground and try and do my. And defense. you were trying to beat him at basketball at the time. I uh, definitely <laughs> never succeeded in that area. We yeah. had a very um, we're pretty even as kids, but um, you know, Matt's been a massive supporter of mine as I've gone on my hockey career, and even you know, one of the most special moments of my career was uh, my little nephew Isaac. He got to come and watch me play live um, for Australia here in Perth, wearing his little number twenty seven. Jersey and um, I could have retired on the spot. Just yeah. having that moment was so special for what me. What a moment. Um, as I understand, you didn't pick up a hockey stick or didn't start playing properly until about grade six. Correct. Yeah. At school. Is that quite late? Uh, yeah. For I mean, a there, hockey player? there's plenty that had parents that played. So we're in, you know, three, four years old. Um, for me, I was busy playing other sports and it was just a sports teacher that got me involved. So hockey yeah. was, it's funny because playing. Do you remember that conversation? Was, was it just as like, oh. He's a hockey stick, Rach. Have a go. Well, it was, here's some goalie gear, Rach. So yeah, right. um, at the time it was um, just trying different sports. So I tried out for the state team goalie and field player. Picked me as goalie. And um, when I reflect on that, it really is a niche position. But I think my general coordination that worked, had they put me on the pitch at that point, not in goals, I don't reckon I would have made it to this level. So I'm pretty fortunate that, you know, that sliding doors moment, I suppose. Yeah. I'm imagining, you know, the sorts of skills when you're in the goals and you've got to react, you know, with lightning speed, you know, going left or right. It's not unlike, I suppose, being on the defense when you've got your, your brother charging yes. at you in the, the backyard with a basketball in hand, right? Yeah. Oh no, I was more thinking of the subtle punches I'd get <laughs> in the hallway when I was yeah, being a right. pest. But, um, yeah, that's it. It's just that, um, reflexes and general coordination that worked well. But, yeah. um, you know, now I do a little bit of coaching and that's what I encourage all the kids play as many sports as you can. There's yeah, no point. Interesting. Don't narrow until you really have to, um, cause all of those skills will help. Yeah. When did hockey become like a really serious pursuit for you? I think, I mean, it was later in high school, probably, you know, it comes a time as your parents would know that there's only so many Friday night and Saturday morning slots for your sport. Um, and that's when basketball was played as well. So eventually I had to just choose the hockey, mm. um, but joined the VIS reasonably young, got some national, um, underage recognition and the hockey yeah, it just becomes really busy. So I suppose later in high school. Yeah. Um, you hail from Warrandyte. I do. Beautiful spot, just sort of on the, well, it's probably not the outskirts of Melbourne anymore because the <laughs> sprawl really. is just so extraordinary, but uh, it's quite a picturesque little part of Melbourne, isn't it? Yeah, some fond memories running along the Yarra River and um, growing up in bushland, I suppose. It's still home, mum's still there, and um, yeah. I get back there as much as I can. Yeah. 
you've been here for a long time now, though. Is home here or is home oh, sort of Victoria? Tricky question. <laughs> I've still got a Victorian licence. Yeah. Um, Have you really? That's After my all connection. these years. Yeah, yep. Uh, I've never said the words home relating to Perth, but I think through COVID I've really learned that it's it's very easy to live here from a yeah. lifestyle point of view. A couple of my mates have moved over. My, my brother and sister-in-law and nephew are here. Um, really strong connection, family and home in Victoria. Yeah. Um, and I will always be a proud Victorian, but yeah. Perth is, is a magical place to live. Mm. So I don't know where I'll settle. We'll see. Yeah. And yet as magical as it is, you chose to put yourself in harm's way as often as possible by standing <laughs> in the goals. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> it takes a special sort of person, doesn't it, to to be the goalie? <laughs> I mean, you've got, you know, other outfielders on the, on the, on the team who are charging around but you are just, you're there to, to guard the prize. To ruin the dreams. Yeah. <laughs> and you've got this, I mean, the, the hockey ball, I don't know if, you know, people have picked one up, but it's, it's, it's slightly heavier than a cricket ball. Correct. It yeah. feels harder. It's quite dangerous. And someone's smashing it from pretty close range, <laughs> you know, with a stick, like at you. Yeah. But I mean, the goals aren't that big, are they? So it's generally at you. Well, your job's to get in the way, essentially. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we get this reputation for being crazy, weird, and all of those Deserved, things. Deserved, I reckon. <laughs> well, we stand in front of the same ball as the defenders and everyone else. They wear one mouth guard, and we have a fully body, full body protection. That's true. And they're facing the same ball, and yet we get told we're the crazy one. Like, <laughs> you know, I can attest, I mean, my list of injuries is so minimal from my career. It's very really? fortunate. Yeah. Never missed an international game through injury or illness, um, and partly because I protected myself with batting. <laughs> Um, so I think we're the smart ones. It, that's something that you as goalkeepers tell each other. That, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose you're right. <laughs> I'm sure your other teammates probably feel differently. Yeah. Cause look, I mean, I suppose, you know, the other outfield players that you're trying to sort of dribble around each other and get past, you're not sort of lining up and taking true. a swing and just hitting it as hard as you can yeah, look, in I, your direction. It's, I would say it's a unique position rather yeah. than a special position. <laughs> um, but I've tried very hard to to change some of the reputations for goalkeepers and yep. just be normal and fit in with the group and because um, yep. it's very isolating as a position. Yep. And um, if you really look into the psychology of it, it's 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 fascinating because, mm. you know, I do a bit of coaching and, you know, try and tell a, a 10-year-old kid who's just let in five goals that it's not their fault, um, that the team's lost. So it's it's interesting, but it's um it can suit any personality, any body type, anything, and that's what I love about it. Yeah, very good. <laughs> um. When did you start to, to sense that you were a shot at, at making it to the national team and, and maybe even go and represent Australia at an Olympics? When did that sort of start to dawn on you? Um, I suppose the first time that maybe it was more people saying it to me. Yep. I, um, I had a couple of years in the Victorian senior team um, under Rachel Imerson, who was the Aussie keeper at the time. Uh, and, a, and a hero of yours. My absolute idol. Still yeah. is. She's still a yeah. legend. Um, but... Did some time under her, which was great. Really good learning and um, got to watch her, you know, do her craft and um, learn from her. But then eventually the time came where I needed to be getting some game time. So I went up and played for Northern Territory and we got absolutely pumped because the team was not very strong. But for me as a goalie, it was perfect because I got to show what I could do. Um, and then it was after that tournament that, you know, a few little whispers or maybe I might get selected and um, I didn't. So the team came out. I wasn't on the list. But um, it was actually from that tournament they'd kind of, I guess they'd had their eyes on me a little bit. Mm. And then when there was an injury a few months later to the Aussie keeper, that's when I got my call up um, yeah. to debut. So it's it's hard to believe it can be a reality 
I suppose, until you're surrounded by, you know, even someone like Rach, I got the opportunity yep. to see a pathway and see someone doing what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, so I suppose it was, it was pretty late, but once you get that sort of, um, Australian opportunity, it's like, wow, well, the Olympics is the pinnacle, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Although for hockey players, it's not necessarily, is it? You've got the champions trophy World uh, Cup as well. World Cup. Yeah. Um, it's not just about the Olympics, is it? I'm, so I'm not trying to downplay the Olympics. Sure. Massive, obviously. But there are other big hockey tournaments um, that you work towards probably just as hard. Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, society says Olympics is the pinnacle yes. and com games because yep. that's what people see on TV. Yeah. But for us, you know, it's, um, it's about those big events that yep. lead up in, into the Olympics. Yep. Um, and it's something I had to battle with a little bit because it took me 10 years to go to my first Olympics. Yeah. So, um, you know, people be like, oh, you play for Australia. Have you been to the Olympics? It's like, oh, yeah. no, but no, but I've done some other day. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Your debut, uh, for instance, at the Champions Trophy uh, in Holland, which is just an absolutely hockey mad country, one of the one of the powerhouses. It is. What was that like? Uh, I remember, so I actually um, debuted just before the tournament. So that was my first tournament. We played against England and, um, yeah, I remember we used to wear the heart rate monitors for those games, mm. all our games. And I looked at my data afterwards and my heart rate maxed out in the warm up. Uh, we were listening to the anthem, like when we were waiting to go on the pitch, that's when my heart rate maxed out. So one that maybe makes <laughs> goalies look what bad. What did we get to? <laughs> I was pretty high, 100, yeah. 190 or something. Um, 190? Yeah. Me singing in the warm up. So that's how nervous I was. Wow. But, um, uh, yeah, memorable game, but, oh God, that feels like a long time ago now. A blur. Yeah. A blur. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll let that settle just for a moment as we take a break and then we'll hear more of your uh, Olympic adventures and all the sorts of things you've been doing uh, off the field as well. Uh, plenty to get through with our guests in this episode of Inspiring Stories. Rachel Lynch will be back with more right after this. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, my guest in this episode has represented her country playing hockey uh, for Australia well over 200 times, which puts her in pretty elite company. She's uh, been along to uh, many World Cups, uh, Champions Trophies, Olympics, Commonwealth Games, you name it. Uh, she's been guarding the goals uh, for Australia. Um, Rachel, the, the Olympic Games, you were lucky enough to get the call up for Rio. Let's talk about Rio first. There's a whole other story that goes with Tokyo, <laughs> which is going to take a little time for you to explain. But um, getting the call up to go to, to Rio, uh, tell us about that moment when you knew you had a ticket on the plane. Uh, yeah, it was um, like my heart rate's already just gone up thinking about it. Yeah. It was a, a really special time. I... Um, a lot of years going into that moment, I'd missed out on two Olympics before Rio and thought at the time it was, you know, my last chance, third and last chance. Um, so I had to make some real changes in that year because I always had that fear of it's going to happen again. Um, I'd had some strong performances in between the Olympic years, yep. but had missed out twice. And um, that sort of, yeah, fear was always there that for a goalkeeper, there's only one spot. So every tournament we take two, except for the Olympics, we only take one. Is so. that right? You only take one goalie yep. to the Olympics. Yeah. What happens if they get injured? Um, so Which seems quite a realistic possibility. Like you know, as I mentioned, when you're standing there <laughs> and you've got this funnily missile enough, heading at you. Yeah. Look, funnily enough, it's it's not that common for goalies. Um, yeah. So they you can take two, but you'd be wasting a spot on the bench. Right. So they choose the one, and 
if there's an injury, there is a goalie that can be pulled in, um, right. but they have nothing to do with the team. They stay separate. They're not in the village. So it's not a very nice um, role to play. Um, but yes, yeah, so only take one. So you're, it's either you or it's not. And um, uh, on this occasion, I'd worked really hard, mostly on my, my belief of myself. Mm. Um, I worked with a guy who, <laughs> who was actually a sponsor of mine and he was sponsoring me with chicken. So <laughs> this is my chicken, chicken farmer. Yeah. Who um, supported, you know, a lot of sponsors don't want to throw money, but this guy was happy to share some product. He was an organic chicken farmer and he actually did a bit of life coaching type stuff. And yeah. it was an off the cuff comment one day I made when picking up my chicken. Um, and we ended up going for coffee and he helped me put together a list of essentially the positive affirmations. But wow, it really helped me to stay on track. What, what am I good at? What's my journey? You know, what, what do I believe? Because in sport, you're always going to have ups and downs, obviously, but you, you can't rely on, um, that belief and confidence from your coaches either. Cause you know, one day you're the superstar, the next day you can't do anything right. Yeah. So I really learned to have it in myself and that's what allowed me to play consistently in the Olympic year mm. and then, uh, get selected. And, oh, it was a huge relief cause I'd worked so hard and mm. believed at that time that I was the one to help us do well. Um, so to see my name on that email was really special. Pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the whole experience itself of being at a games, you know, in the village, just soaking it all up, I, I, must be a bit, bit of a tease for the hockey players. Cause you know, if you go well in the tournament, then you're, you're in game mode yes. for pretty much the whole two weeks. Whereas, you know, True. the swimmers, for instance, you know, full on first week party, the second week, yeah, you kind of have to, you know, stay in, um, in, in the right frame of mind for the whole time you're there. But the, the whole experience of, of being in a game setup, what was that like? Yeah, it's incredible. It's like nothing, nothing else. Um, I think my memories from it were, um, uh, you know, we didn't get the result we wanted. And unfortunately that's the the power of the Olympics. You've got to do it on the day. And, um, we got knocked out in our, um, in our quarters. And I just remember we had heaps of family there, you know, mm. such a contrast to Tokyo, but a huge collection of family. And it wouldn't matter what the result was. We'd go and see the family after the game. And, you know, they'd obviously had a couple of beers or in, in Rio and, um, but they were just so happy and so proud. Like they honestly didn't care. And it was like, you know, they ride the waves with all of us. And just, I suppose that sort of leveling moment of, it's just about, you know, having a good time and re representing the country and, and doing what we love. And, you know, obviously we wanted to win a gold medal mm. um, we didn't, but to just know that the whole of Australia is so proud of you and you're doing something that most people will never do. Um, so I think it's having that perspective. Sometimes yep. we forget as athletes. Yep. And you had an encounter with a thief over <laughs> there too. I understand. Twice. Twice. Yeah. Yeah. So not the same thief, two separate incidents. Two no, no. Yeah. Same day. It was same yeah. game. So I had, I went to put my gear on before the Argentina game yeah. and both my goalie smocks were missing. So my tops, um, they'd been taken. Surely, surely a rat from the other side. Must have been. <laughs> it was in a hidden area, so it was it was obviously an official or something. Anyway, so my smocks were taken. Luckily, we had a spare one. Threw on the spare one, the blood smock, we call it. Um, put that on, played the game. We won, had a bit of a ripper game. Came back afterwards to get changed. And all, because I obviously take my uniform off to put the goalie gear on, my singlet, my shorts, my jumper, everything had been stolen again. Gone. Yeah, so um, pretty bizarre. My, my watch, which I'm now wearing now is, you know, reasonably expensive garment. They left that. They just wanted the Aussie uniform. Is that right? Yeah. So it was a bit bizarre. But, Has it um, popped up on eBay since? Oh, I haven't seen it. <laughs> I should keep looking. But, you know, that's, again, that's the power of the Olympics. People are just so. Do, do crazy things. Yeah. Because it's like, well, 
it's amazing, you know, all the different um, countries and the uniforms and the fanfare around it. So someone somewhere at this very moment (laughs) is wearing the Rachel Lynch (laughs) hockey ruse Rio Olympic special yeah, right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd love to obviously if they're in Australia. <laughs> Wonder where it is. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? Anyway, pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> obviously didn't get them back. I nah, never saw them again. No, no. <laughs> um, when you're training to be a goalie, do you have to do a whole separate program from your teammates? I, I mean, you, you mentioned before that it can be isolating. Yes. Uh, being in goals. In terms of just all the training that you would do, you know, day in, day out, is it completely different to your teammates? It is a little bit different, but um, essentially we're just the last part of a hockey drill. So usually we'll end in a shot. That's where we are. Um, the, from a physical point of view, we don't do the, the longer running like they do. We do a lot of the shorter stuff, shorter, sharper agility work. Um, you know, more than happy to stand there and clap and support my teammates while they do a beep test or a fitness test. So you didn't have to do that stuff? Right up until 2011, we did. We had to do all the running with the girls. And then we probably got a bit more new age with the, um, you know, physiology and we didn't have to do it. I pride myself on that. I think I've got a pretty good level of fitness. I ride my bike heaps and um, it's really important from your recovery and your concentration point of view. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, counterintuitive. We need to be fast yeah. and, and sharp. Yeah. Um, we have a goalie coach as well, so you have to do the specialist work with them. But essentially you're just another kind of cog in the wheel and um, – yeah, as I said, you stand in the goals, you stop the ball. That's your job. That's your job. Yeah. Pretty simple. Yeah. I mean, it's bit to it, obviously, but when you break <laughs> it down, pretty simple. Yeah. Um, I'm always impressed when I see, uh, you know, hockey uh, at your level being played. And the goal that you are, I mean, as you've said, you're, you're padded up. Mm-hmm. It looks like it's really kind of restrictive and like there's a lot of padding in there, isn't there? Yeah, there's heaps. Like just having to move so quickly with all of that yeah. strapped to you. Seems like a challenge. Well, that's part of it. It's got to fit you well and be really yeah. snug. Um, and if, if you can't do your job unless it does. But, um, yeah, to look at, it's definitely a bit of a fat suit, if you like. And, um, <laughs> you know, I get people say to me sometimes like, oh, I thought I recognised you. And it's like, no, you didn't. I wear a helmet and I'm fully covered yeah. head to toe. You don't know who's under there. <laughs> yeah. You're quite vocal too, it seems, on the field. I suppose you have to be, don't you, Ben? Yeah. Are you overly vocal compared to some of your... Uh, fellow goalkeepers around the world? Uh, I, no, I'd probably say I'm maybe in the middle. Yeah. Um, because you, you don't want to be a commentator. That's no one will listen, and yeah. that gets annoying. It's a really strong leadership position. Yeah. Because you're firstly, essentially, not doing anything at the time. You can see everything. Um, you're the one that's not puffing, not running, so you can make more calls than the average. Um, but at the end of the day, we're just again one part of it. So we have a, I guess, a hierarchy of who we call and what we say. And then that moves up the field as well. So the leadership element is something that I, I'm really interested in yeah. because you, your job is to stop the ball getting to you. Yeah. Um, and I think, again, that's probably something that was a strength of mine. My connection with my defenders and the ability to read the play and do the work in front of me um, means you can be more efficient and you'll have less shots to save. Yeah. What about the mental side of things? Um, you know, the, I imagine the focus just must be extraordinary, particularly if you're in a penalty shootout type scenario where... It's all on you pretty much, isn't it? <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Immense pressure, um, but also just having to have that, that laser focus when you're in the moment, you know, a ball's coming at you any second. Yeah. Probably very quickly. You've got <laughs> no time to react. I mean, are you, are you sort of just so locked in the moment there, just like n- nothing else going on in the world is present in your mind? A little bit. Yeah, yeah. I suppose you get in a bit of a zone, but you also have to have the ability to go on and off because you, you can't maintain that no. for 60 minutes. 
Um, and that's why, you know, I've got some strategies around it. I'm always moving up and down the pitch with the yeah. play. The calling is a big part of it to keep you connected. Because, yeah, if you switch off, you can go 59 minutes and do nothing yeah. and then have to make a save to, um, you know, either save the game or yeah. win the game. Um, but the pressure's a key part. I, yeah. I really love the pressure. You love it. Yeah, and I think you have to. Yeah. Because if you, if you fear it or you don't, you know, that's going to cause a bit of hesitancy and no one can make good saves when you're on the back foot, if you like, or, yeah. or scared. Yeah. Um, so that's why shootouts for me, I really looked forward to it and I think that allowed us to, to win so many of them because the girls knew that. And when I got into them, I'm like, yes, you know, come on, Shachia, this is my chance to do my thing. Mm. And the girls, um, you know, they only had to score score a couple, knowing that I'd, I'd get hopefully most of them. Um, and um, we had some real success. So it's just mm. about attacking it as an opportunity rather than, you know, fearing what could happen. Yeah. Uh, what about after the game's finished? I mean, I, I, some, I sometimes feel for goalies. I watch a lot of soccer sure. and sometimes the goalie, as you've described, might have nothing to do pretty yeah. much the whole game. Yeah. One mistake and all of a sudden they're, you know, they're the villain. Villain, exactly. Hero to zero. Yes. You know, for, for one split second, you know, it might not have even been their fault, but they kind of have to wear it. Mm. How do you deal with that? It is, it is frustrating at times, but, um, yeah, I think I learned pretty young that your assessment, you know, no one's going to be harder on me than myself. And your assessment is, could I have done anything different? You know, what, what actually happened there? Because a good goal is a good goal and, um, you have to know the difference, but it's hard. You know, I can have games where I'll have an absolute ripper game and we lose, or you can have games where you play completely rubbish and you win, but you play a team sport for a reason. Um, you know, I'm there for the girls. I want to have success and we share that success. It's not so much about the individual. Yeah. Um, but my memories, you know, there's plenty of bad games, but I have really good memories of the games where, you know, making those key saves at crucial times, shootouts, um, you know, winning medals. The Com Games, we had two out of three of the medals. Well, the two gold medals that we won were both in shootouts. And, um, mm. you know, I look back on those really fondly. That's your time to shine. Well, it's also, it's a, a terrible way to lose, but a really great way to win. <laughs> the excitement of that is um, is pretty special. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, you must have had it all clicking in the right direction uh, in 2019 because you were uh, awarded the, the title of International Goalie of the Year. Were you doing anything differently or you were just having a blinder? Um, it was a good year, but um, I'd been nominated two times before that. And the way that the voting system works is a bit funny. So it's kind of just, uh, can be a little bit opportunistic, but... I think I've gradually built across my career and, um, yeah, had some big tournaments around then. The team was tracking pretty nicely. Yep. Um, yeah. And super proud of it. It's, um, not something you think of when you go into a team sport that you yep. get an individual accolade like that, but, yep. um, you know, I've got that forever and I'm very proud of it. Yeah. As you should be. Um, having said that the year after when the Tokyo Olympics were originally uh, scheduled to happen, of course, as we know, it was uh, a year late for obvious reasons. Um, there was another fight that you had to go through. Uh, just to make that team, which is a pretty epic story in itself. And I'll get you to tell us that right after we take a break. Rachel Lynch, uh, Hockey Roo champion, is our special guest on Inspiring Stories. Back with more of her story right after this. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Hey! 
Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Our guest in this episode uh, in 2019 was voted the International Goalkeeper of the Year, basically the best in the world uh, in her position. So you would think that she was a shoe-in uh, for the 2020 Australian team that was going to go to Tokyo. Of course, as we now know, it uh, ended up being in 2021. Uh, but that wasn't the case. And as I understand it, um, Rachel, basically you were punished for trying to stick up for a teammate. Is that, that's I mean, it's a it. very brief summation, <laughs> but it, it, when you boil it down, is that about it? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Tell us what happened. I know that there was a, a lengthy, you know, five month long legal battle that went on, which seems bizarre, doesn't it? To get lawyers involved, to appeal on your behalf, to get into the Australian hockey team that you were already in. Yes. But <laughs> yeah. Anyway, tell us, <clears throat> tell us what happened. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's so many elements to it. Um, essentially the... I was in the squad. I've been in the squad um, since I debuted in 2006. And then when the Olympics was postponed, we already had our Olympic squad selected. Um, of course, the, that gets narrowed down to a team just before the tournament. So our squad was ticking along nicely. Olympics were postponed. Um, so we we're all basically sent home, if you like, or cleared to do what we needed to do because there was no point us training together here in Perth. So most of the girls chose to go back over east where their home is. Um, I decided to stay here being a nurse, um, jumped straight into a, a full-time gig. It was obviously in the middle of a pandemic. Um, I felt that was, you know, my duty and my responsibility to do that. And I absolutely loved it. So I worked full-time throughout that time. Then eventually we started training again and um, was tracking along. No worries. There were certainly no issues with my form or anything like that. But there'd been some turbulence within um, the program. Um, unfortunately, just a few things had happened over the years. We got to the point where our captains stood down because they um, weren't happy with some things that were going on in the program. Some cultural issues, can we put it that way? Yeah, yeah. Is that fair? Yeah. I mean, the word <laughs> culture gets thrown around. It's, but It's maybe a bit kind. Well, yeah. But, yeah. There was just some things happening that yep. they didn't want to be a part of, and I was the same. Yep. Um, pretty, I guess, strong around a couple of things, including one of them being mental health. Yeah, so as I understand it, 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 it I mean, it all sort of came to a head. You um, spoke up on behalf of a teammate who was going to lose her scholarship. Um, she wanted to take a, a break from, I suppose, the intensity of the program here for mental health reasons, mm -hmm. um, and she was going to lose her scholarship position. Yes. So that and, did happen. And you stepped in on her behalf and paid a massive price. Yeah. Essentially it was just around the mental health, some things within the program. Um, you know, there's times like anyone that you need time away from a program. It's a full-time program for us. Yep. And, um, it got to a point where we had to justify it through a psychologist if you needed a day off for mental health reasons, uh, which I didn't agree with. Um, so I made a comment in a meeting, just asked a question around, you know, some confidentiality and challenges. And um, uh, from there, it, it led to a, a warning letter and um, some pretty, I guess, hurtful things when firstly it was in a private meeting, but secondly I was, you know, standing up for a teammate and, and an issue that I'm very passionate about and yeah. I think I have some experience and knowledge in. Yeah. Um, and then I actually didn't think anything else was going to come of that um, and then it was down the track that, um, you know, we featured on the news, our ex-coach, featured on the news calling out a few things that she'd experienced, um, assistant coach. And then, yeah, the, I was worried something was going to happen. I just had this bad feeling. And then the night before the, the new squad. So we then had to get our new squad selected because the Olympics was postponed. Um, you know, of course, all of the staff members retained their jobs naturally, mm. whereas we had to be re-picked again. 
And it was the night before that team list came out, I got the call to say I wasn't going to be picked um, and that no reason was going to be provided. No reason? No, couldn't tell me in that moment. Um, Didn't want to talk about it then. Um, And the fact that it was in a phone call, that hurt me the most. I said, so you're ending my 15-year career in a phone call um, when I'd been with the coach literally 30 minutes before that at a training session. That's pathetic, isn't Um, it? And then... Yeah, the next morning we got the email and myself and Georgie Morgan, we weren't on the list. And uh, I think we were both, you know, she was our ex-captain and both probably two of the key players in the team, senior players. And um, yeah. so Especially when you need um, leaders around. It's a pretty turbulent time for everyone. But I imagine if you're in the Olympics set up to you, you know, you're trying to focus on what's ahead of you with all this uncertainty around you. You need, you need your natural leaders around the group, don't you? Yeah, and by that point, you know, like people thought I was just this really, well, some said, was I really outspoken and all that. That wasn't the case at all. Um, that was not my role. No, you didn't run to the media and say all this. No, you and... kept it internal. Yeah, and I think the response, the initial response was, um, for us, as much as we were hurting, it was so flattering for, you know, our teammates. They instantly call, called a meeting. They had an um, emergency meeting, if you like, just the girls to be like, what do we do? They wrote, you know, put their names on a document and said, we're not going to the Olympics without these two girls. Yep. Um, then, you know, the outcry, I guess, from a public point of view, two days later when it came out, to just have so many people being like, what on earth? You know, there was, at, at no point did I have anyone sort of be like, well, fair enough or Too anything bad. like that. Yep. Yeah. Not at all. It's the complete opposite for both of us, Georgie and I. Um, and I guess, you know, the years of trying to be a good person and a good character and the stuff that... Um, I had been doing off the pitch um, reflected because the girls were like, this is, this is a joke. And um, anyway, got lawyers, we had our meetings and what we thought would be quite quick from an appeals point of view, none of us had ever done it before, yep. um, ended up taking over 150 days where, <laughs> where essentially for me, I, I was training by myself. So I was preparing for the Olympics in the months leading up by training by myself because I wasn't in the program. And while I was fighting this legal battle, had um, zero contact from anyone at Hockey Australia and um, uh, that was sort of it. It was just like you're on your own and... It I seems mean, an extraordinary way to prepare for an Olympics, doesn't it, in a courtroom? <laughs> well, that's I know it. you were doing your own thing, but ultimately you had to earn your place via the court, didn't yeah, you? Yeah. Because you were reinstated yeah. at the end of all that. Yep, that's what, it. What was it like, though, when you're back in the, in the team? I'm sure your teammates sort of gathered around you and put a big, you know welcoming arm around your shoulders. But what about from the, the hierarchy within the, the sport itself? Like, was it weird? Was it frosty? Oh, it was pretty uncomfortable. I bet. Because that was the thing. We won our appeal and yeah. we thought, oh, well, naturally we're back in. No, no. During that time, they changed the policy so that even though we'd won, we then had to trial for the team again. So we didn't even get put back in. So there was two spots. We had to retrial, um, which was incredibly crazy. Like, then spend three weeks with the team training. Um, again, the clock was ticking, Yeah. but yeah, there was some staff members there that had been involved and it was, um, incredibly challenging to, you know, know that these people had wanted you off the team and now you've got to be civil and be coached by them again. Um, thankfully there was, you know, a number of staff members that were moved on or chose to move on during that time for, for their own reasons. Um, so it was a bit better, but yeah. phew, it was really tough, really tough. Awkward. Yes. Awkward. <laughs> um, having said that, you made it um, and all that fitness work you'd done on your own <laughs> paid dividends because you were fitter than ever, weren't you, when you had to do all those extra tests just to, again, 
prove your worth in the team. Yeah, that was my goal. I knew yeah. that if I did get my opportunity, I wanted to come in and blow it out of the park because I was like, I, I, I know I'm the one that needs to be in that team to take us to Tokyo. Um, yeah. and I just had to sort of prove it, but, um, yeah, it was, that was the challenging part, but it was like, it was my experience in 2016 in the lead up to that Olympics around my belief. Um, and I think, you know, I, I never went to the media during that time as much as there was things being said about me from the program, but I kept my head up and my chest up knowing that I had done nothing wrong and, um, could stand proudly on my values and why I did the things I did and what I was trying to defend and support. Yep. Um, and it, it really did pay off because at the end of the day, it was like they said there is, there was no reasonable, no reasonable, um, decision could have been made regarding me being dropped in that yep. moment. Yeah. That was the findings. Uh, all sorts of other battles going on just to get an Olympics happening <laughs> in 2021. Exactly, you know, yeah. there were certainly many people, you know, of some prominence around the world saying, this is crazy. We shouldn't even be having an Olympics uh, at the moment. But uh, anyway, it happened. You were there. Um, it seemed very quiet uh, <laughs> on many levels without crowds there. What was it like for you? I actually think it was a blessing. Um, really? Yeah, having been to one before and probably being an older athlete, the Olympics put so much pressure on, um, the fanfare, the, um, you know, the excitement of it all. It's hard to not get caught up in it. So going over, I could see our younger athletes. It was just like here at Perth Hockey Stadium. There was no one else there. So you go out there and you do what you do best. And to see the young girls not as nervous um, play to their potential you know, lots had changed. We had a new head coach. The group was generally happy again, which was wonderful. But I think it just took that pressure off of there's no one watching. And it's easy to forget that there's millions of people watching on TV as soon as the whistle goes. Um, and I really believe that's why we had some really good performances across Australia's Australian sport. But in the hockey room specifically, the girls really played to their potential, which yeah. is awesome. Yeah. So for you, it was all worth it. <laughs> all of that fight and crazy battle that you had to go through, all it, worth it. It was worth it just to see the group laughing, to feel um, comfortable myself, um, to feel proud of the build-up, but also to know that at the end of the day, I just wanted our group to be um, a part of something special yep. and leave a legacy around that, and I feel like that's what I did. Just before we go to the break, um, tell us what it means to be inducted into this very special group. Olympians for life. Because I, as I understand that there's only five people who are chosen each Olympics. Correct. Yeah. Who are recognised for some of the things that they do outside perhaps of their actual sport. Um, and, and I suppose I particularly love your um, position in that squad as well, because it's almost <laughs> like a stuff you to the establishment, because you were kind of recognised for the sorts of things that got you into trouble or got you offside. If, you Correct. know, maybe that's a better way of putting it, got you offside with. Um, with Hockey Australia in the first place, right? Yeah, the irony, um, I actually got a call from um, the UK an hour before our team came out, the Olympic team, to say I'd won this award. Yeah. So it didn't come out until the Olympics many weeks later, but the timing of it was incredible that it was just Amazing. Like, yeah, for my work, my contribution to community and to people and then to being kicked off the team because of those sorts of things, it was just the, yeah. But um, to get the award, I mean, I was super um proud of it. I hadn't really heard of it when it happened. Um, but I guess, you know, to, to get some recognition for my nursing, my mental health, um, the advocacy and the things that I'm really passionate about alongside my sport and, mm. you know, I suppose the Olympic values and, and the things that I've tried really hard to just be a really good person and a mm. good citizen in the community. 
Um, and it was just all a bit ironic, but, you know, very grateful for it. Absolutely. Um, your teammates, who obviously adore you, um, a couple of them got up and uh, and announced that you were uh, being given this title, Olympians for Life. Uh, a couple of them actually uh, wrote a, a lovely poem about you as well. We might have a bit of a listen to some of that now. We all know the journey of a goalkeeper is never an easy ride. It has many ups and downs that you've always taken in your big oboe stride. <laughs> You are the highest capped goalkeeper in the history of our sport and the list of things that you've achieved has never fallen short. In 2019, you finally got the recognition you deserve. World's best goalkeeper, a title you had the right to reserve. But you are more than just a great player and our saviour in the net. It's the kind-hearted, supportive teammate off the field that's the hardest to forget. Rachel, we can't play all of that poem because it goes on for a couple of minutes or so, but it's on YouTube if people want to check it out in its entirety. Did you know that was coming? No, no, poem. I definitely didn't. And the girls said that there'd been some uh, much, much discussion in their room to try and get the words right because, um, you know, Rosie and Sav are dear, dear friends of mine and they were massive supporters during the appeal yep. um, and they just wanted to really sort of do it justice, I suppose, and they did a fabulous job. It's yeah. honestly one of the most special moments of my career, hearing those words from them. Yeah, and like I said, I, I love this, you know, the, the stuff you moment. Not that I want to sort of cheapen it in any way, but I love that element of it too. It's brilliant. Um, you're a mental health ambassador, as I mentioned at the top of the show too. You're an ambassador for uh, Are You OK Day and also for Lifeline, two incredible uh, institutions that they are. I'll get you to talk about that. And also your career in nursing. I don't know how you managed to fit the time in to do that, uh, be an ambassador and to, you know, play 200 plus games for the Hockey Roos. But somehow you did. You can tell us how you did it right after we take a break. Rachel Lynch is our special guest on Inspiring Stories. Back with more soon. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest is champion hockey roo Rachel Lynch. But aside from being a hockey roo, um, you've been a nurse, like a career nurse for over a decade. You've worked at RPH, you've worked at Fiona Stanley, you've worked in uh, neuro rehabilitation, <laughs> you've been part of a COVID emergency squad. I'm still putting it in a sporting context a bit there, aren't I, by calling you a squad, <laughs> but uh, more or less you're a squad, weren't you, called into action. Um, nursing, I mean, that's a demanding and, and full-on job and vocation in itself. How did you balance it all? Yeah, it is. It's, um, I suppose it's a very rewarding job and a fabulous perspective for an athlete. Um, I think that's part of the reason that I, um, continued and pushed so hard to be able to work whilst I was playing. Um, you know, when I first started, I did psychology and human movement straight out of school, um, thinking I wanted to be a sports psych, but ended up moving into the nursing. My mum, my mum was a nurse and um, naturally, I suppose I have a strong desire to help and care for people yep. and the nursing's played a really key role. Actually, I, I did start full time, but eventually dropped right down to one day a week cause that's all we could fit in being shift work. Um, but those sort of eight hours in my week was so important to me yep. to think about someone other because than myself. Because it was just a total departure from hockey. Correct. Yeah. Yep. And as an athlete, you can get so caught up in. Um, it being the be all and end all and, and it's really not. And I think to be able to step outside of that and have a reality check of, you know, in the neuro rehab, it was fit young people that had had strokes. Yeah. Um, I was going to say that they're, they're the sorts of people that you would have to care for. Yeah. And you just sort of see, oh, well, these people are going through, you know, the biggest moment of their life and 
a crisis and um, you have capacity to help there. And um, it's just a nice, I guess, a nice contrast to the athlete world. And it was really important for me. And having that balance is, I guess, I feel why I was able to have such a long career. Yeah. I mean, COVID came along and just threw so many things into absolute chaos. It did. Um, sport, for instance, you know, particularly with the Olympic Games on the horizon, uh, as it was in uh, 2020. Um, but it, I mean, being in the nursing profession, I mean, it changed, changed your world as well, didn't it? Oh, on, it really on, did. On yeah. that level. What, what, what was it like for you being a, uh, a nurse, uh, at Fiona Stanley at the time? And then suddenly COVID comes along. You're probably in the back of your mind thinking, I wonder if these Olympics are going to go ahead, <laughs> but at the same time also, am I going to have patients, you know, just being treated in corridors and, you know, bursting at the doors? Like yeah. what, what was it, what was it like dealing with that, um, anxiety that was sort of thrust upon you in early 2020? Yeah, well, we were all, uh, I suppose, privy to seeing what was happening over in Europe um, and the other parts of the world that was, it was already happening and it was coming our way. Um, I can remember being at training and um, slowly things were starting to get cancelled. And at the time I was working one day a week and I was like, I just, all I wanted to do was be at the hospital. It's like, this is why you do work in health to, to help. And um, I was just like, what am I doing here at training when I should be at the hospital, they were preparing, you know, closing down wards, opening up sort of more intensive care units, all this sort of stuff. And eventually when the program did get stopped, it was like straight away, I was like, sign me up, you know, where can I do more shifts? And, um, the workforce acted really quickly. And especially in WA, it was like COVID didn't really come straight away. So, um, everyone was called into action and it's only when you look back now, whatever we are two two years down the track where it's like, wow. You know, some nurses have been, well, all healthcare workers have been through a really, really, you know, crazy time that, you know, once in a lifetime, essentially, where just having to put everything in your life on hold to help other people. And, yeah. um, you know, I have so much admiration for the whole industry and it's, um, it's a shame that it's not getting a bit more recognition. Yeah. Well, it's, it's been getting rec recognition for its problems, hasn't it? Correct. Lately, as opposed to early days where... Um, you know, you guys were recognized for the, um, the hero factor at the time. Mm. Um, not to say you're not heroes now, but, um, I think that, you know, it's sort of broadly accepted that they're just done enough of you Yeah, well, that's um, it. to make it all work. What, what's it been like sort of, I suppose we're not, not necessarily at the other end of it, but we're certainly in a different phase of it now. What's, what is it like in there at the moment? Yeah. I mean, the hospitals are, are a bit of a nightmare at the moment, all across, you could say across the world, definitely in Australia. There's people that have just been working so hard and, um, uh, you know, I, I suppose I can relate specifically to the nurses who are just fatigued, overworked, um, you know, going through the stress of the job on its own. Then of course you've got your family at home and looking after your own loved ones and, you know, being exposed to, to COVID day in, day out. You know, I worked in COVID clinic, um, for the last five months here in Perth and, um, people hear that and they're like, oh, and it's like, well. It's actually one of the safest places to be because you've got all the PPE, you're around people who are trained, you know what to do. Um, whereas going to a coffee shop, completely different story. Um, mm -hmm. So it's like um, you play this key role in society where we're trying to help, but it's just not really that reward. And um, no one does it for the reward, but it's also like we've got to look after this area of society because people need help and the nurses and that aren't going to be there if we're not looked after. And yep. um, I just have so much, you know, admiration for anyone that was on the front line during COVID and continues to be there because it's really hard. Yeah. You've stepped back a little bit, as I understand, from that COVID front line, um, as you put it. 
Um, was that a just a, a conscious decision? I'm, I'm I'm done with this. I need to move on with the next phase of my life. Or were you part of the um, the testing setup that's been sort of scaled back a little bit in yeah, recent times? Yeah, the clinic was decommissioned. Um, yep. The public health clinics in WA have been. Um, I'm in a bit of a unique phase, I suppose, being recently retired. It's I've also had a full time gig of, of hockey for the last yeah. fifteen years. So it's really nice to just have a bit of freedom and say yes to things and spend more time in Melbourne with my family and go on the odd holiday, um, have some flexibility, do more coaching, all of these things that I've not been able to do. Um, and I'm really enjoying that. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> um, mental health is obviously a, a passion for you as well. How did you get involved with Lifeline and Are You OK Day? Uh, is there a specific sort of reason why you particularly gravitated towards those areas of healthcare and, and wanting to put your hand up and be an ambassador for them? Initially, um, Are You OK was my first contact yep. and um, I became an ambassador with them through a friend purely. But I love the concept of, um, uh, it's just about getting people to talk to each other, have conversations. It's more a prevention um, strategy. So life balance, well-being, all the things that I'm really passionate about anyway. Um, but it was quite interesting going through my appeal last year. Um, I, I did have my first experience with mental illness for myself and uh, having been an ambassador all of that time, something I really noticed was the um, the language from the girls around the Hockey Roos program. I'd worked really hard to sort of help help educate and create a, a culture of Are You OK in the group. And then when I was in a bit of strife, you know, I had some girls that were messaging me every single day for yeah. those 150 days, every just day. checking in. Checking in. You know, just want to see if you're OK. Um, girls that are like – because I didn't want to – during that time I got to a point where I didn't want to go out at all. I didn't want to see anyone – I was too um, paranoid to be anywhere near hockey. I didn't want to be in large groups. I had my first experience with um, anxiety. You know, re reading emails from the program about myself was a horrific experience. And I was fortunate to have Georgie Morgan who was going through it as well. But just to see the way the girls supported me, um, as I said, it's like, you know, come on, we're going for a walk or something like that. It was not, you know, forceful or anything like that, you know, in a way that was um, – a problem for me. It's like they just knew exactly what to do. And I think having a bit of edu education around mental health and are you okay in the circles that I, um, I guess, work in um, with friends and that made a huge difference because yeah. all of a sudden I was the one that probably needed that support that I guess I'd, I'd hopefully been giving them over the years and yeah. now I was getting it back. Good karma. Yeah, but it's really important because it is so simple just asking someone, are you okay? Um, but doing it regularly as well. And I didn't need anyone to solve my problem. They couldn't. I was in the middle of an appeal, mm. so I couldn't. they couldn't change anything. Mm. But just like, hey, let's go for a coffee or um, are you okay today? You know, like just the regularity of it was um, I just knew they were there and sometimes that's all people need. Yeah. Do you ever wonder what might have happened if, if you'd lost that case? <laughs> um, I had a really good lawyer. <laughs> so I, I didn't fear that. And I think the fact that, um, as I said, I could I – could, sort of stand proudly knowing that I hadn't done anything wrong and the evidence was clear as from a performance point of view, from a um, historical point of view, I had some, you know, people that were essentially witnesses to my character, some, you know, really well-known people doing that um, and it was the same with Georgie and it would have been a technicality had we lost but, um, uh, yeah, both of us I think got in a pretty bad way and that was such a relief when we did win. Um, and the circumstances around it meant that, you know, instantly there's a, a weight off your shoulders, which yep. can make a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose I asked that question in the context of the conversation about mental health, but, you know, dealing with a, an entirely different outcome 
and, you know, whether you'd be sitting here today, you know, talking about this and reflecting, you know, on, on all these happy parts of your career, it probably it would have cast some of those chapters in your career in a, in a different light, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, and, and it wouldn't, I, it wouldn't have been a Tokyo experience to talk about, for instance. And and I can't ignore yeah. the fact, the guilt I felt around the fact that Georgie, she didn't make it to Tokyo. Yeah. She should have absolutely 100% been in that team. And she was a, a victim of, of that program and what happened. And Shocking. Uh, yeah, and it hurts me. But yeah, I'm mm. very fortunate that I got to have a, essentially a happy ending from it. Yeah. And Lifeline as well, another incredible cause. Um, you know, and you mentioned having people around and checking in on you. This is often that that last point of contact before people are, you know, talking about the people who answer the phones when you call Lifeline, they can be that last point of interception before someone considers doing something mm. final. Yeah. When they're in real strife, you know, yep. and, and that's why I've enjoyed the two different sort of contrasting programs. Yep. Uh, one is a prevention, one is a, I guess, a service. Yep. Um, but you know, mental health is in the media more and more these days. There's more athletes speaking out about it. Um, but I guess, you know, my advice from it all is we've just got to keep talking to each other because you yep. never, never know what someone's going, someone is going through. So you just got to listen and be there for them. Yeah. What are you going to do now? What's, what's <laughs> next for you? Um, I'm not sure. I, um, I'm pretty torn. I love high performance sport. I really want to do that. I love my nursing. That's very, um, gives me a lot of satisfaction. Um, I'm jo joining the reserves, the ADF. I thought that'll be something different as a nursing officer. Um, what, do, what does that involve? Uh, I mean, are you training for a, a combat scenario? <laughs> I'm actually learning to, I'll, I'll, I've, it's a journey I've never been on. So I'm keen to see what it does involve, but, um, it's a, it's very similar to what I've been doing. You're representing Australia, defending Australia if you like. <laughs> and, um, just a complete just change. Just with less pads on. Exactly. Less protection, <laughs> slightly different weapons. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just, I'm up for anything at the moment, just, um, enjoying the freedom and, um, yeah, just, I guess making the most of this flexibility in this time and we'll see where the future takes me, I suppose. Hopefully not back into battle in any <laughs> sense of the word. Yeah, hopefully not. <laughs> anytime soon. Well, all the best with it. Thank you so much uh, for your time. Thanks, Tim. Uh, chatting to us here for the program and congratulations again on everything you've achieved in your uh, incredible career over many years. So Thanks so much, Tim. Thank you again. Uh, you've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR in this episode with Rachel Lynch. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We look forward to you joining us next time as we unearth another inspiring story. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Stuff for your face and body? It's men's skincare with a purpose. Top quality Aussie-made grooming and skincare to help guys look and feel great with no hassles. Plus, Stuff is helping mental health too. Find Stuff at Woolworths or visit websiteofstuff.com.